Yo, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 12 of the podcast. We've got a guest today. We've got X Harper. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right. How are you? Good, thanks. Doing good. Obviously, we've got Miles. How are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm good, thanks, mate. I've got an iron bro ready to talk about football. I'm, so, yeah. I'm excited for this song. Basically, X Harper is he's a, he's a friend a friend of the stream, and he does sometimes stream on, on Twitch as well. So we'll leave his link down below and his Twitter. We'll leave that down below because he's I know he's active active on there, and he's just no. going to talk about his early career. His young he only had a young career, um, and also he does he has a variety of skills. He does lots of stuff. He does scouting, coaching, and stuff. So, half mate, do you want to just roll it back to the beginning? Let us know what did it start right. with. Uh, starts when I'm five. I think I want to share the first story because that's like the beginning of everything. Um, just playing with my mates in a Sunday league game when I was five years old and scoring. I just remember scoring the goal from the game. That's literally the only memory I've got. And I don't even think, I'm not even sure they were goalkeepers thinking back to it. I'm like, I'm trying to think where were the actual goalkeepers in that game? But for whatever reason, I was about two yards out and I managed to just toe-poke the ball in and everybody sort of going crazy and being excited about something that I'd managed to do. And ever since that moment, um, I always knew that I wanted to to play football. It was just, it, it became my lifeblood and, and everything that I wanted to be. So... Now, I, I obviously, I'm going to skip a whole load of years now, but that goes up to when I'm about 13, 14. Um, I was signed by West Brom in the the academy because that was my one of my local clubs. And another story that I tend to share is about Cyril Regis. Cyril Regis passed away recently, not too long yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, Cyril was the head of the academy at the time when I was at West Brom. And I was for a while in the B team and the, like the Academy, for some reason they had this B team and then it led into like, it fed into the A team essentially. And I got promoted from the B team out of nowhere. Me and my mate, they scouts or whatever, they came up to us, the coaches at West Brom and they just sort of said, look, we want to try you with the cream of the crop. I always remember that exact phrase is what he said to me. And so two weeks later we were just playing against, um, I think it was Mansfield, I think, who we were playing in these weekend of games for West Brom. And I scored seven goals in three games oh, um, <laughs> over the course of this weekend. So I was really happy. Anyway, on the last day, um, I was playing and Cyril was standing on the sideline. And because I'm like a diehard Birmingham City fan, I had... Um, and also I was, I was 12, 12, 13. So I was like young enough and naive enough not to think that wearing the rival team's kit underneath the kit you're playing in wouldn't be seen as a problem. Yeah. And um, I was subbed off. I was bought off at the end of the game because it had been a, a flipping hectic weekend. We'd just been playing nonstop. I think Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'd played games. And I also played a game for my Sunday league team in the midst of all of that as well. So I think I was just done um, physically at that point. I come off the pitch and I'm standing next to Cyril and I don't think anything of it. They're like, you got to take your top off because you're going to 
you know, mixing with all the kids on the pitch. So I take my top off and underneath I've got this Birmingham City top on. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, I mean, I, it didn't register with me at the time, but I looked at, I saw Cyril and you could see his reaction and he just looked very disgusted. But as a kid, you don't, you don't really think anything of it and you just think it's fine. And so I actually got released the day after. Just because and, of that? Um, well, there was, when we sat down, we sat in the room with, the main coach and he sort of said apparently my first touch was the problem and um my dad knew one of the scouts really well they were really really good friends he was the scout at not only west brom he was at man city nottingham forest who were the big clubs at the at the time so my dad was was talking to a lot of the scouts and the one who was at albion at the time was just like this is the stupidest decision I've ever heard our club make. He was like, why would they do this? In fact, when I got released, the example they used when they released me was Alan Shearer. Now, apparently they had Alan Shearer when he was a kid. Oh. And they released Alan Shearer for exactly the same reason. This was what I was told by the coach. And so I came out and I was like, hold on, Alan Shearer is going to be on TV soon. He's like playing for England and et cetera, et cetera. Top scorer in the Premier League. And I'm like... Do these not? Do they not learn from their mistakes? Like, why would you release Alan Shearer in the first place? But then, when somebody else does something similar, why would you not just see that as a chance to let's improve the guy, but definitely keep him because he's going to end up being a very good goal scorer and hopefully for West Brom in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So that like ruined that really ruined a lot of my confidence as a kid because um, football had been my life up until that point and continued to be for the next um, seven, six, seven years or whatever it ended up being. Yeah. Um, so I, I went back to just playing Sunday league football and, and enjoying playing football with my mates. And I always loved that. That was always the best part for me, just getting to play with my mates and just, you know how it is Yeah. when you've got your friends and they're also your teammates and you get to win together and you're just experiencing a different part of life together, but it's, without all the stresses of what's going on in the real world kind of thing. Yeah. So we were doing all that. And then when I got to um, about 14 and 15, I had this sort of moment where, you know, I was just, it was a random thing for me. I was, I was at school and I was well, I don't like saying I was popular at school. So I don't think I was, but I was well known. Yeah. Um, everybody knew who I was, but I wouldn't necessarily say I was liked by everyone. Um, no one ever is really yeah you've always got people haven't you that are yeah. always yeah and I, I was think never... that's just what happens at school isn't it you get people that always pick on you look at you look down on you just yeah well cool. yes 100% and I did a bit of both if I'm honest I've never I don't think I've ever lied about my childhood like that like I loved it I loved school it was going to high school was like the, the best years of my life and I'll never change anything that I did even though I was a ba- I was a bad kid really because I ended up getting <laughs> suspended at school and everything so I really didn't give a crap about teachers and stuff like that but um in the midst of it all I was a decent kid I think I just wanted I was a bit of a clown I liked making people laugh and I think that came back to the football side like I just enjoyed people being happy when I've because of me because I did something and I always took some sort of um, happiness out of that and some satisfaction came from it. So I was a bit of a clown at school. But anyway, one day when I was just going back to high school, 
Um, obviously, your mates will all play for different clubs usually. There'll be loads of you at different teams or whatever, mm-hmm. whether it's Sunday League or a, an actual club, regardless. Yeah. And one of them just came up to me and was like, we... We were, we were very competitive, the two of us, and we didn't really like each other because of that competitiveness um, with how good we were at football. And so he it was weird for him to come up to me and be like, I've just heard this mad story about you from the weekend. Everybody's talking about um, how well you played. And I was like, all right. And I didn't really remember. I think when you're a kid, you play so many games. Sometimes it's all, it's just a bit of a blur. You don't, you don't stop to analyze your performances because you're like a kid. You just you're enjoying playing football. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I don't remember the game like that the people were talking about, and I didn't at the time, even though it was like a few days before. Um, but I was like, "What are you talking about?" And he just said, "Well, we've been hearing all these stories that like Gordon Strachan. Um, these some of these are going to be old names now. There's a guy called John Rudge who was the manager at Port Vale um, a long time ago." When I was a kid, uh, Dario Grady is probably more of a familiar name with people. Uh, one of the longest serving managers in football when he was at Crew Alexandra and Gordon Strachan had, for some reason, was standing on the sideline of a random Sunday league game where I happened to be playing. And apparently the three of them were watching and decided to highlight me as the future of English football was the way that it was oh, wow. started to be bandied about. It's a big statement. Because, yeah, and particularly Dario Grady. Dario Grady then said that he wanted to place um, sort of like a, it's not like scouts, but they essentially what they do is they will just sort of mark you and they will come back and scout you in two or three years' time. Basically, it's when they see a player who they think isn't fully physically developed and they want to see how they develop physically. They're not really bothered about your football skill because they can see that. Yeah, I, I knew but, that because. Um, sorry, it, when it, I played in the I played in the Manchester League, and I was playing under eighteen level at sixteen years old, uh, fifteen. No, yeah. yeah, turning sixteen, playing under 18s, which was tough. But um, it was the way the club was didn't have enough numbers, so they just combined both our years. And um, we were playing against this team called Fletcher Moss. You you might not have heard of them, but. They were, they're very well known for kids um, just dropped out of United for a year or two and then they go okay. back and then scout them again. Yeah. It yeah. always happens like that as well because players develop, you know, kids develop so differently. You've only got to look at Messi to see that kind of thing happen. And anyway, with me, it was just that story of these three. And, and all three of these coaches were known as the best young um, youth sort of player coaches at the time. Gordon Strachan was able to see a lot of good young talent, was manager at Coventry, I believe, at the time um, in the Prem. So he was obviously a high-profile manager. John Rudge was at Port Vale, who were like championship league one level. Same with Crew as well. They were flirting between, sort of yo-yo in between the top, those two tiers. But Dario Grady was the one that would, you know, launch a lot of young careers of players um, into the football world. Gordon Strachan often signed those a lot of these sort of players as well. So the, the three of them were highly respected. I didn't know any of this because I didn't really care, frankly. I was a kid. I just didn't care for it. But I knew the names and I knew it was significant. And my friend had told me that at school. And then the literally I was 
my brother is, was a good footballer as well. He was being watched. In fact, the story about my brother is, is that he was marking Jermaine Pennant when Arsenal scouted Jermaine Pennant. Now, oh, wow. my brother was being scouted by Arsenal along with Jermaine Pennant, and it was between the two of them. Oh. And the day that the day that they played each other, instead of putting my brother right wing back um, or right wing, which is where he played, they played him on the left to mark Jermaine. And so what happened was my brother just ended up having to mark Jermaine Pennant instead of being able to do what he wanted to do yeah. on the yeah. right wing. Um, so I always remember my brother coming home with a scratch saying, this Jermaine Pennant prick scratched my back. Look at this. And they had this <laughs> massive claw mark down his back. And then he was like, on top of it, Arsenal have gone and signed him as well instead of me. So he, my brother was, was really good. He played for the Birmingham County FA team. And um, I went to watch my brother play every now and then. And I went to the FA, the County FA ground and the manager of the Birmingham County FA came up to me, which was a complete weird thing to happen. And he said the same thing and he reinforced what my mate had told me at school. And he said, I've been hearing some incredible things about you. And I'm like, what is, what is this week all about right now? And he, I was like, what, who's saying what this time? And he was like, he just told me that um, Man City had been watching me and had, were really interested in signing me. And so now he was interested in calling me up to the Birmingham County FA team, which was ridiculous because I was three years too young um, really to play with that age group. And so it, it was just a weird time in my life and, and things began taking off, but I was still dealing with my, my sort of lack of confidence from being rejected at West Brom as well in the midst of all this. And that helped really put me back on track a little bit. And I started getting, started just feeling better within myself. Like I could walk around with a bit of a strut again and, and be happy about who I was as a footballer and, and how my, my life was developing. And I think I was always very cocky because of that i always knew i was going to be a footballer so i was like who gives a crap about gcses and subjects that i'm going to do at school yeah. i'm going to be earning a lot more money than that when i'm playing football in four or five years time well Ray wayne rooney doesn't have any gcses does he <laughs> i don't know what kind of answer you want me to give here <laughs> if, if i'm to base it on like his interviews i would i would agree with you i don't think he does <laughs> Mm. but Wayne was Wayne was great because he was at a club and that's the big difference for me was that I wasn't attached to a club growing up mm. um, Wayne was always with Everton and a lot of kids are like Mason Greenwood's been with yeah. Man U since he was Rashford, a kid Jude Bellingham's yeah. been with Birmingham since he was about eight years old so a lot of these young players when they're attached to the club it, it, it obviously makes it easy for the club because they can hold on to them um, but with me, I was a bit of a free spirit. I was roaming around just, I really just enjoyed playing with my mates and my only experience of playing with a club, I hated. I'd scored all these goals, did everything that they'd asked me to do and they released me and rejected mm. me for it. So for me, I was, I never wanted to really play for a club at that, as weird as it sounds. I was just like, I'll be a pro when I need to be a pro. I don't need to, I don't need to worry about being in an, in an academy. Like that just never crossed my mind. Um, but with Wayne, he was very protected. I, because I wasn't at a club, my dad was very strict about my education. He wanted me to do well. And there was stuff that, that happened when I was sort of in my early teens where I also realized that there was a certain subject. I, I knew that I had to study business. And so 
I ended up making sure that of all the things I did, that business was always something that I, I took a focus on at school. And so that was the one subject that I actually did care about. Um, but even then, I always thought I didn't really care how it was going to be used. I just assumed it was going to be to do with football. And so um, over the next couple of years, again, up until I'm like seven to 16, 17 now, I just had every club in England come and watch me. At some point or other, I was scouted by every major club in England. And I guess the reputation level soared and I didn't always play well. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like I was some sort of God at that age. I wasn't, I was, I had plenty of bad games in between that. I remember when Man U came to watch me, um, I had just a weird game. I scored in the first two minutes of the game. Scout wasn't there. Didn't turn up till like the fifth minute. So he missed my goal and it was a good goal. This was in like the quarterfinals of um, a regional cup, which was, a, it's a big cup competition. I think there's like four or five regional cups in the UK that, that these are covered. And I, this was one of them. And I was also playing against um, Romulus, which is in Birmingham. It's a very well-known feeder club for a lot of young footballers like Darius Vassell. Um, oh, what was his name? There was another striker who played for Aston. A lot of the Aston Villa players came from this club called Romulus. They just, they always had this really good feeder system of, of young, typically black kids um, who were v- always very fast, very athletic. And for me growing up, that was always something that Birmingham was renowned for, which was what made me a little bit different, actually. Um, Birmingham was always known for producing really strong, black, quick strikers, whereas I was a strong, quick, white striker. So it was, for me, coming from Birmingham, it actually helped a lot because I stood out more than I probably would have um, had I have come from like the north or a load of the different areas of England and the country. Um, But... We were playing them, scored against Romulus in the first few minutes. I was really happy because I was like, I bet the scouts just seen that. It was a really good goal with the outside of my foot. I remember that goal really well. Um, but then I had a shocking rest of the game. We, I, got, I, I remember I've only ever been nutmegged once, and that was the day that I got nutmegged. And I, I, I remember just feeling like, that was that was the highlight of how bad that game was for me was the fact that some git nutmeg me and it wasn't just like um a tricky nutmeg he was about five yards away from me and he passed it through my legs and i was standing flat-footed and just the ball went through my legs and i was absolutely livid (laughs) with myself because you just don't stand flat-footed like that it's just the biggest no-no it's one of the first things you're taught when you're defending is don't stand flat-footed so I was, oh gosh, that that wound me up a, a lot. And um, I found out after the game, they were like, look, the guy's been scouting you for ages. He, They really like you, um, so don't worry about it. That was what came back to me. And then there were other games where I had, I remember getting feedback saying that I wasn't fit enough and I would go out running six miles the day after just to try and prove them wrong and get my fitness up. And then fitness became big for me. And in my opinion, was one of my downfalls because I I ended up being so fit that I would often get played out of position as well. Oh, right. So I was a striker, um, if you haven't already guessed. And then I just started getting played on the wing, wing back, 
right midfield and I hated it. I really hated playing in all those positions because I just, I don't want to defend. I know it sounds really bad, but I just didn't have any motivation to, to defend. I'm a pretty good tackler as well, but I just don't like it. I don't like tracking back. Wow. I was like, I'm, I'm happy just staying up front. So My nickname was Claridge as a kid because of the Birmingham striker, Steve Claridge, who was just like the scruffiest little knob in the world, but he was incredible. <laughs> he scored so many goals for Blues when we got promoted to the championship and didn't wear shin pads either. That was like his other signature. And so I grew up not wearing shin pads and eventually got told I had to. When I went to West Brom, they were like, no, you actually do have to wear shin pads. So we had to <laughs> buy some. Um, so that was like my nickname. I was very much a, a poacher. I had a lot of pace, but I was just one of those players when I was in the box, it was very unusual for me to miss. Very unusual. Um, and even outside the box, I wasn't too bad, but inside the box, I was just one of those like predatory finishes. I could just put the ball in the back of the net. So you're talking about defending. Would you not be a Jamie Vardy or a Danny Ings who would press the back line? Or was it just a case of just getting back? It, definitely tracking back was my problem. I was so here's a bit of a contradiction. I was also known by a lot of players for never standing still. Like people would always comment, like you never stand still, you're always moving. And I just had this thing where I always jogged around. I'd never stopped running. It wasn't. It wasn't down to sort of. It wasn't down to laziness or the lack of the stamina. Honestly, with the defending, it, it was a motivation of. I just don't see the point. If the defenders, if the other nine or 10 players on the pitch are set up to defend, they should be doing that job for me. Cause I, I was just a bit arrogant as a striker. I was a very, I, I marked myself on strikers like Romario and Alan Shearer. They were the guys I watched growing up. And so I never saw them chase back. I never saw them. And even with those guys, you know, Vardy's a, a channel player. He, He's going to run the channels all yep. day long. Shearer didn't run channels. Oh, he was a goal He didn't scorer. have the pace to do it. No. But what he what he was great at was positioning and putting himself in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Obviously, he did make runs every now and then, but he wasn't like Vardy, who was just this sort of ball of fire who would just keep running and running into those channels. Um, Shearer would stay central, hold the ball up, get bring others into play. Mm -hmm. I always liked doing that. That was always a thing that I enjoyed doing. I was crap at heading. Heading was my my big weakness. I hated heading. Don't don't even know why, but I just hated it. Are you and, um, tall or not? Yeah, I was about to ask that. Yeah, I'm six foot, so I'm like average. I, I'd yeah. say I think that's average. Um, although at the time as a kid, I was still taller than most of my mates. I I grew quite quickly, so. Um, I was always called like biggin. People would just say that, even though I was only, I was six foot, but we had kids at our high school who were massive. There were kids in my high school who were like six foot three, four. Yeah, so I'm six foot four. <laughs> okay. So there were, it wasn't like, I, did, I wasn't the tallest kid, but when it came to football, um, I, for some reason, I just always kept being called the biggin. It was weird. I was like, there were loads of kids bigger than me on this pitch. Why am I the one who gets called the biggin? Anyway, that happened and I just, I don't know. I just hated heading. I didn't have, I don't think I had the frame for heading, to be honest. I was, I'm very strong. Um, I have a, I, but I don't look strong. I'm, I'm very yeah, thin. Yeah. 
but when you when you actually get on a pitch with me i used to knock people over for fun that was one of the first things i did when i was at plymouth as a professional um ian stonebridge was the strike the main striker who i'm sure nobody's going to know other than plymouth argyle fans but i bulldozed him over and i was only 16 and he he wanted to fight me on the training ground <laughs> literally turned around and swung at me the only reason he missed was because i had the ball and i'd already run off towards their goal but that's that's always been a mark of my um career really was that i was very just deceptively strong i was able to just hold the ball up i could hold easily hold two players off at one time it was just a bizarre thing and often when i would shoulder barge the, the person i'm barging is going over and i gave away quite a few free kicks where i it's just bad refereeing because it was like it, it was just shoulder barging but they it was so i was just strong enough that i could knock people off balance yeah um and that went my for a goal scoring a box sort of striker that's what you need that strength that's the key trait to being able to turn and spin on the ball and shoot from close range and that helped me um exponentially in in that in that area i was that's one of the reasons i think i stood out because not many kids might there were hardly any kids my age that could do that um and had the sort of intelligence as well to do it my dad was a footballer by the way so i think i picked up a lot of sort of just iq football iq from my dad yeah i, I think it was just naturally in, in me so it was it yeah. was easy you know yeah. it wasn't what like he, i was what did he play for uh my dad was at chelsea when chelsea were bad um oh, yeah sort of just before the Terry Venables era, because my dad's quite old. Um, he was 40, I think he was 40 when I was born. So he, he, they didn't have me at a young age. And so my dad played back in the era when footballers would um, nail their studs into their boots and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up like with a very traditional dad in, in terms of the way he saw life as well as football. Um, but yeah, that just meant that I had a different perspective. My dad wouldn't even let me wear colored football boots. <laughs> I literally, I, I had to wear black boots um, until I was, I think, 18. I think that's when I started buying my own like white boots. And I was just like, screw my dad's opinion on it. Now I'm going to yeah. buy my own. But I grew up with like Puma Kings, basically. That, that yeah. was my boot for ages until Nicholas Anelka wore them for like when he was playing at Bolton. And then I think I switched after that and I was I moved over to like night boots. Hmm. But before that, it was like whatever. Puma's, Mitre, Diodoro, my first boots. Um, Dino, I think they were the Roberto Baggio ones from like the World Cup Italia 90. They're the ones that I first remember. And then I also remember getting the Reeboks there was there were a collection of Reebok boots that all the Manchester United players had. Uh, Giggs had like a red, like they were black, but they had these accents of color. Giggs had a red pair. Andy Cole had like a yellow or a white pair. Um, I think Dwight York had them as well, and he had a different color. And then a couple of the other players had different. It was weird. You never see this kind of football boot branding nowadays in football where it's all the players from one specific team who wear them. But I, I remember having a pair of the um, the yellow ones. They were like predominantly black with these yellow things. And that was as colorful as my boots ever got until I was old enough to just say no to my dad and start doing things the way I wanted to. The most colorful um, ones I had were salmon pink. <laughs> I mean, that's colorful. Full, full on 
Nike Mercurial salmon pink. I remember the ones. I know the ones you're talking about. Yeah, and I've about... still yellow boots are my favourite. They're my ultimate favorite. I've still got. In fact, I, I may have told you one of you guys, but my old boots were on last year's FIFA. They bought them back. The um, the lasers, the yellow night lasers. That was the last boot that I had, and I've still got them at home. And I'm like, I wish I'd. If I was in England now, I would have just sold them on eBay for a fortune because I bet everyone was trying to buy them. And a lot of pros now are getting into this thing where they buy um, retro boots. Yeah. Um, I keep seeing Meza Ozil wearing the old Preds, the 98 Preds, which are my dream boots that I never got to wear. Um, he's wearing them now. I think I saw him in a picture on the Arsenal Facebook page the other day. That's if he gets played. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's probably why he's just he's training in all these classic boots, but he never plays. Um, but I love them. Oh, that's me knocking over something on the table. Um yeah, he wears all... I used to love those 98 Preds. And again, my dad wouldn't let me get the white pair. And I really wanted them. I really wanted the red Puma Kings as well. I don't know if you remember these. Um, not, but in no. back in like 97, 96, 97, 98, these classic Puma Kings, the big white tongue. Um, they're like the Maradona style mm. Puma Kings. and But they started doing them in different colors. And you had like a dark blue... There was a very bright red, a white pair, and a, and the traditional black pair. And I always wanted the red ones, even though red's not even my favorite color. I don't know. I think I just wanted them to say that I had colored boots. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I ended up, I had to have the black ones, but they were the most comfy boots, man. I don't even think they do Puma Kings now, the classics. Mm-hmm. And they were just this really comfortable wide boot, which was perfect for me. Um because I've I've got a wider foot, even though I'm quite fast, which is unusual physically to be like that. Mm. Um, but those are the boots I miss. I miss those boots. Nike Total Nineties are like the equivalent size wise. Mm. So I wear Total Nineties whenever I'm wearing stuff. Now it's like the wider, the wider Nike boots that they have. So so you got released by West Brom. You got a contract from Plymouth Argyle. Yeah. Well, I had a choice. So I, I had a choice of clubs. Um, like I said, everybody had watched me at this point. So I, I had a load of offers on the table. And it was really just down to me saying, which one do I want to go? What club do I want to go to? And like I said, my dad was traditional. And he was he was also very intelligent. My dad knew what he was talking about with football. And as much as I like to disagree with him growing up as a, some would with a dad, um, the one thing that always stuck with me is that he'd always told me it's better to be a big fish in a small pond than it is to be a small fish, uh, small fish in a great (laughs) lake or an ocean. And that stuck with me. And when we had the offers on the table for like Man U and Man City and Nottingham Forest were one of the biggest clubs at the time for youth players. Um, So I had those offers and it was just like, I can go here and I can go to one of these clubs. And I think Man U would have been, I hated Man U. But they, I couldn't deny the fact that they had such a great youth system. They had Alex Ferguson as the manager. So it was, yeah. you know, <clears throat> if I'm going to go anywhere at the top level, it would have been Man U, I imagine. And I looked at them and I just sort of said, well, what do I do if I go here? And my dad said to me, well, what will happen is you'll go into the academy and you'll stay in the academy until you're about 21. And then they'll start 
progressing you from there unless they somehow give you an opportunity earlier, which they won't because it's Man U and they're signing the best strikers whenever they need to. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so my dad just said, if you go there, you're going to have a, l- you're going to learn a lot less. Yeah. Um, you might be at a big club, but you won't have as much first team experience. If any first team experience by the time they're expecting you to start playing regularly. And loan signings weren't a big deal then. Um, I should really emphasize that loan deals in the last five or six years in football, nothing like they used to be. Um, Nowadays, some clubs struggle to fill their academy teams because so many of the players are out on loan. Chelsea are a prime example of that. I think at one point they had a ridiculous amount of loan players. Yeah, way too many. And um, they're all slowly being recalled or sold, but... It wasn't like that when I was sort of young enough. And so it was unheard of. It was very rare that you'd go out on loan. And my dad just said to me, look, what we need to do is look at the best club that's outside of the Premier League and see who's the best. When I say the best club, I mean the best academy. And we're going to look at that and we'll go there because you'll do well in the academy. You'll train with the first team because the academy is going to be small. First team manager will watch you. He'll like you, put you straight in the first team. And then you'll be playing in first team football at the age of 16, 17. And then he was like, man, you will want to sign you. But when they sign you, you will have the experience of first team football. So they won't be able to throw you back into the academy. What they'll do is they'll sign you for the first team. Yeah. And then you become a first team player. So my, I always felt that that was wise advice. And I would always encourage any kid who's playing football for their local team, uh, local professional club to stay there. Um, I really don't, I'm not an advocate for going to the biggest clubs in the country because it it doesn't change your development. The only thing it does is it loses your experience of what it's like to be in a first team. And that experience is the most valuable part of football life. Um, Playing with grown men as a young kid is the best experience that you can get. There's nothing like it. You can play with the best kids in the world, but I'd rather play with a mediocre grown-up men's team um, Mm. than with the best talent in Europe who are under the age of 17 because you don't learn the same things. You don't learn about all of the little tactical nuances that you just don't understand in football. You don't learn about the banter that goes on on the pitch between opposing players. You don't learn how to deal with pressure because you're all young and none of you have been in a pressured situation. There's just so much stuff that you you can't write down, you know, you can't think of, and you could never imagine unless you're there. And so we chose to go to Plymouth. Um, and Plymouth Argyle were known as having one of the best academies outside the Premier League. And they were an up-and-coming club. They were, at the time, their ambition was to be a Premier League club. And they had a good owner. They had solid sort of, ownership nobody was leaving there wasn't talk of takeovers or anything like that at the time Uh, their manager was a really good manager who i always forget his name now because it's just been so long um but he ended up going to southampton when southampton were in the premiership and he did a great job of bringing young players through it just didn't work out for him at southampton unfortunately i think he he was a bit like david moyes um with plymouth he'd been there for so long and he'd built the club from the ground up. It was all his doing. A lot of the decisions had been made by him. 
um what's his first name it's something stoic i can't remember his first name we only ever called him gaffer so it's like you don't tend to even remember names in football um but he just built the club and was running it the way he wanted it to be run so he was in control of everything and as a player that's great because it means that you know if you do well and he spots you and he wants you in the first team nobody's going to stand in his way of that decision whereas nowadays um managers often get told that they can't pick players by the owners by agents there are there are a lot of people who actually can stop who gets into a first team nowadays um compared to teams like Plymouth at that time. So we went to them. Um, I, I had to go for a trial. I had to do it like the official way. So I went on trial and all that first, and then all of it was agreed. They were happy with me. And it was during that process that I was training with the first team. And like I said, I'd knocked over Ian Stonebridge, who was like the their star striker at the time. And Sturrock... Um, the gaffer was on the sideline actually watching the training session. And I remember the academy coach coming over to me at the end of the session and he put his arm around me and I was a bit like, this is a bit unusual. Like, why are you taking an interest in me like that all of a sudden? And it was because the gaffer had gone up to him and said, look, that kid is going to be in the first team this season. I want him to start training with us. And so I then started training with the first team um, and I was all geared up, ready for my first pre-season. We played against Charlton Athletic when Charlton were in the Premier League. Uh, Dar- this is like when Darren Bent was up front for them. That's was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank there? At that time, I don't remember I don't remember him playing. He might, might have, have been, been too late. I don't remember him being at the game. Um, I definitely remember... We had a we had a left back who was a Scouse Scouse kid and a diehard Everton fan, and I can't tell you how much of a diehard fan he was. And in their team was Dave Watson, who had saved them from relegation in the Premier League, like in the nineties at some point. Joe Royal was the manager, and Everton were going to go down, and it, it was this big deal that Watson popped up and scored this goal in the last game of the season. And so (laughs) we're in the tunnel waiting to, we're just sort of, we're still, we're academy kids, you see. We're not, even though we're there for the game and we're part of the first team, we're still academy kids. So we hung out with each other and we were just sort of standing in the tunnel waiting to see where we needed to be because we didn't even know if we were in the squad until about an hour before the game. And so all the Charlton players are arriving and uh, Dave Watson's walking down the tunnel. All, all I know that happens next is I get pushed out the way with two of the other lads. And it's this, the Scouse lad has pushed past us and has jumped on Dave Watson and he's hugging him and kissing him and saying thank you so much and doing all like the fanboy stuff that you would do. And Dave Watson just acting completely normal to it all because I guess he has this a lot. And he just this weird moment where it's like hold on we're going to be playing against these guys in about an hour's time and i'm not going i don't know this guy and here's you giving the guy kisses telling him how great he is what a legend he is and strangely enough he didn't get selected for the squad in the game um against charlton that day because the manager was so 
peed off that he was going to be playing against him and and maybe wouldn't tackle him quite as hard as he needed to tackle him Hmm. um, as necessary in the game. So he actually dropped him because of the way he reacted to Dave Watson in the tunnel about an hour before the game. And I I ended up playing as a sub. I came on as a sub um, and we lost. We got absolutely battered 5-1 because we were league two. No, we were the the equivalent of league one at the time. Um, It was the year before we got promoted to the championship. So there was still a, a big divide in quality between the sort of first teams. And I loved it. I loved that first first team experience of just getting to go on the pitch and play. And it was just like my dad had said, like, there's no, there's no replication of that in the academies. You can't get that experience anywhere um, other than being on a football pitch with adults, people who've been in the game for years and years, who've, we're talking generations of football on one pitch. And you learn so much of that and you absorb a lot of it when you're a young kid and it's the best time to be on those pitches with these people. This is why Brescia Dortmund are so keen at the moment and on bringing young kids into their squad because they they know how important it is to to merge them in, get them experience while they're young because they it will accelerate their growth as a player. And so um, played that game. Everything seemed to go well. I didn't do anything particularly good, didn't really, but I definitely didn't do anything bad. I mean, it was my, it was literally my first experience of um, professional first team football. And it was against a Premier League side, which was like a, an added bonus. And so, again, my academy manager was just sort of loving it. He was really happy, big smile on his face, because for them, they get a bit of a, I maybe shouldn't say this, but they can get, sometimes they get a bonus for the amount of kids that actually make it to the first team. Um, some contracts will be made that way. And it's sort of like the motivation for the the academy coach to do well and to produce good players. And they'll just be like, if so-and-so signs a contract, we'll give you a, a commission for doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so with me, I guess he, he must have been under that deal because he was way too happy that I was going to get um, a pro contract because we hadn't known each other that long. I hadn't been at the club really that long at all. Um, when all this happened and the next thing I know um, we were we were called in the next day with the first team squad on a Sunday which is really rare at that time anyway and we were going to do doggies because we lost um, we got bad by Charlton so anybody involved regardless of whether you came on the pitch or not you you know we just had to do our punishment and that was running up and down the massive hills that surround home park down in Plymouth so we turned up for training, ready to do that. Um, and then, how much do you want me to go into this bit? Because I can. This is now running into rejecting my contract, so I don't want to like jump ahead. And um, whatever you, you feel. Really. Yeah, you you just tell us your story. Okay, so at this point in my life, um, I was ready for football everything had culminated and you know since the age of five scoring that first goal everything was becoming the reality that I'd expected it to be the only thing that had been different for me in my life and I mentioned it earlier with business being a specific subject at school that I was gonna study was that I was also a Christian still am um 
my dad was my whole family were Christians and they were very my dad was very traditional in every sense of the word so he was a real traditional Christian guy um we were very sort of wholesome I'd always rejected doing things like smoking or drugs or drinking or anything like that growing up it was just I something that I never gravitated towards and a lot of that was based around my beliefs and I'm very thankful for those things because I do believe that even though they're not the main reason that I was able to to get to that position in football it did help because it gave me a very good attitude towards the game of football and being a professional and that's again something I would promote to any young guy who wants to be a footballer is that you've got to you've got to learn to be disciplined and cut out all those stupid vices that can really get a hold of you and hold you back from ultimately realizing your own potential as a, as a footballer. So I avoided all that. And that was part to do with my faith. And I'd been a Christian this whole time and, and God had been a big part of me doing business and choosing business when I was picking my GCSEs. Um, don't tell Wayne Rooney about that one. I'm sure that's yeah. still a sore point. And <laughs> So I, I did all my education. This was another benefit of not being a part of a club. Um, I didn't have to, I went to school. I still had all the pressures of my GCSEs, doing well in my um, subjects. I was naturally gifted at school. So I was always one of those kids who, I was a, an absolute prick um, to the teachers. I was suspended, like I said, but there was always this arrogance that I knew I didn't need to study because I was smart enough to, I could just, do it and do enough to get through and that's essentially what happened um, when I was at school I was told by the head teacher that I was going to be a failure and I wasn't going to pass anything and I just laughed in her face and said wait until results day results day came around and I'd passed every subject and did well in a few of them as well so I was always this arrogant but naturally gifted kid with stuff like that and part of that was choosing business and um I'd always chosen to do business because that was something I felt that God had told me to do. Um, something that he told me was going to be central to my life um, after, well, I assumed it meant after football, after I had my career, but in the end it turned out to be a lot sooner than that. Um, and basically I knew that I was going to go and do my degree in business. I knew that I was going to end up doing a master's degree in business as well. And that was at the age of 14 that I knew that. So I, I always just assumed football would come first. And that was always what I'd said to, to God um, going through my life. I was always very arrogant with it. And that bled into my relationship with God as well. I told God in my prayers, like, I'm going to be a footballer and you're just going to have to wait for, for me to whenever my football career finishes and then I'll do all the business stuff that you want me to do. Um which was probably not the best attitude as a, as a Christian, but I, I really didn't care at the time. So at this point in my life, I'm, I'm ready to be a footballer for the rest of my sort of young life, if you like. And I'm ready to start that, that next step of the journey. And we turn up for training in the car park, no different really to any other day of training. And the only thing that I remember seeing was the we had an Italian goalkeeper and this is all going to start getting into like semi-racist comments but what I'm saying is is very I'm I can't tell you how much this guy was the stereotype of an Italian footballer at that time 
In fact, he was like, it was just like I'd imagine somebody in The Godfather would be. And he had like the the sort of really tan skin. He had like the slick black hair, like the brill cream, overuse of brill cream in the hair. Um, he had a, drove a red Ferrari. He was, he was the stereotypical Italian person as far as I was concerned. And, and he just happened to be our goalkeeper as well. He really was a poser and he loved it. And he, he, had, he just loved every minute of it all. Anyway, he's, he gets out of his red Ferrari in the car park. Me and a couple of the other academy players are just watching this going on and our jaws collectively hit the floor as we see this guy who's got his Ferrari come into the car park and he's a professional footballer and he's probably just been out the night before, probably just slept with a woman, two women, as many as he wanted to, just had a great night out drinking or whatever. And you could tell he'd been out drinking. That was the one thing that we we definitely got from it from the the bloodshot eyes that we saw. And um, we were just in awe because we were academy kids. This was the rest of our lives. This is this is what's going to happen for us. Um, and I remember looking into those eyes. And when I saw like the bloodshot eyes, I just remember looking into his pupils and they were like just massive wide black pupils. And I remember seeing it and just thinking there's there's nothing behind any of this presentation there's nothing there there's no soul he just looked like there was he was just a hollow man and um it was at that moment where god actually spoke to me as crazy as this is going to sound um god spoke to me and said stephen if you stay in professional football that's going to be you in five years time and i just didn't want to be that guy i didn't i knew that if I had the money, if I had the car, if I had the girls, if I had everything else and I didn't have my soul, if I didn't know who I was and if I if I looked as lost as that guy did, I just knew that my life would be a failure and I'd never I'd never enjoy my life. Um and so that really hit me hard and I didn't know it at the time, but it was that the reason I'd been asked to go in that Sunday with a couple of the other players from the academy is because we were being offered our first professional contracts. And so the manager and the academy manager came in and we sat down. They offered me my contract. They laid it all out. Like I said, the academy manager was beaming. He was really happy. Um, and they could tell that there was something wrong with me. They knew that something was up because... I just didn't look as happy as I should have looked. And they sort of asked me, you know, what's, what are you thinking? What's going on? And they were also very conscious that man, you were still keeping tabs on me at this point. They were very conscious that there were a lot of other clubs that were after me. Um, so for them, this was a coup to be able to sort of a real coup to like get me. And, um, essentially what happened was for the next three hours, we sat in a room. And I had to sort of backtrack on who I was as a person and help them understand that I was a Christian and that I felt that God had spoken to me on this and that I didn't want to be a footballer anymore. And I had to convince them that Manchester United were not on the other end of a phone, convincing me to turn the contract down so that I would accept a contract with them. Is that what they thought? Yeah. Yeah. They just, they thought I'd been tapped up. 
they they were like we've seen kids like this before where you've got all the talent in the world and some big clubs come along at the last minute when they hear that you've got been offered a contract and then they'll tell you we've got an offer for you come up and sign for us mm. which happens a lot still happens to today like that's not um an unusual thing to happen that's always happened in the history of football and probably always will so they were convinced and i had to spend the next few hours convincing them otherwise and i think i don't know what clicked for them or if it even did i think in the end they just they knew that i wasn't going to sign the contract regardless of what my reason was they knew that i wasn't going to sign for them so um i literally called my dad and plymouth is like a four hour drive from birmingham four and a half hours which in England is a long way. I've learned that in America, that means nothing. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. in England, that was a long way to go. And my dad and my mum and my brother and our dog all decided to come. They just drove down that day and came in and got me and took me home back to Birmingham. And um, that, in terms of my football career from that moment on, um, that's where it all stopped as, from a playing perspective. And I'd see, I saw myself as retiring that day. Yeah, I I played football after it. Um, what just just Sunday league or? Yeah, I, I just went back to playing with my mates. And what happened was, was I'd scored fifty goals before Christmas with my mates' team. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and I just I really loved it. I loved playing with my mates. It was, like I said earlier, it was just really good to have that. I was at uni and stuff. I turned down Loughborough University as well. Loughborough University wanted me to go there. And they actually offered me, um, I don't want to say a free scholarship, because it, but it was like, I still had to pay the money to go to uni there. But they, they said to me, if you come to this university and be the captain of the team, you don't need to worry about your degree. We'll just, we'll make sure that you get the degree that you want. And it was just, it, even that was another one of those moments where I was like, I'm not, like I could be earning millions in football right now. Um, how old? It, how that, old are you? Can I just ask? Uh, this would have been when I was eighteen. How old was, are you now? Oh, how old am I now? I'm thirty-four now, 34. if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think I'm thirty-four now. Yeah, I'm thirty-four now. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so when I was eighteen, because I just sort of I quit football once I was seventeen. I returned home. Everything really went back to normal in my life. I went. I completed my A levels. I didn't, I was so blessed in all of this and I didn't realize it at the time, but it was just so easy. It was all smooth. Like I just went, I was still an idiot at school. Even when I went to college, I was, I didn't care. And I, I, I've just been blessed. Like it was always the business teachers who cared about me and there was no reason for them to care about me. Um, I squirted one of my business teachers in the face with a water bottle when I was at high school just as a joke you know i was just being an idiot and after school it was a dare between some of our mates and i was like we we used a compass the end of a compass to pierce a hole in the top of a bottle so that when you squeeze it it pressures out and it's oh, like yeah, yeah. oh so yeah we've I, done that yeah oh good that's i'm not the only one then yeah, yeah so that, that, that happened that happened a lot <laughs> at our school yeah so i did that but like it was home time so we ran past the teacher who was on duty who happened to be my business teacher and i just squirted her in the face with this water and then carried on sprinting laughing my head off and um she was always like i found out later the reason i didn't get expelled was because of her she was the one teacher that went to bat for me and said 
do not expel this kid. He's got a lot of potential, blah, blah. blah. I, like, I don't even know exactly what she said. I just know that the teacher I was probably the worst to um, at school ended up being the one who protected me the most. And I then went to college. I wasn't allowed back to the high school for sixth form. So I, I went to a different college and um, again, just didn't care. I, I really just didn't care. I was in it for my mates. I just wanted to have fun and I carried on doing business because I, God had asked me to do it and, I'd, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I always had this attitude that if God wanted me to do it, it's going to happen regardless because that's my, my own faith in God is that, you know, if, if God's going to tell me to do something and I believe that God's real, then it can't be me that does anything. Like if I do something, then people are just going to doubt that he's real because they're going to just say, well, you did it all. I definitely didn't do all of this. Um, I really didn't try at college and somehow managed to get through my A-levels and get the A-levels I needed to get into a university. And like I said, with football was that kind of, that easy temptation that I had to just go to Loughborough. They didn't even care about my grades. They didn't care that I just about got through my, my A-levels. They were, they just saw the fact that I left football and that was the big thing for Loughborough at the time. And still is. They, they love having the best football team in the university scene. So for them, that was a big deal. And they, they thought that I would just sort of say, yeah, sure. You know, give me a free degree essentially. And I won't need to try or put any thought into it. I'll just get a degree. And in the meantime, I'll play football as well. And um, I, at that point, I just matured a lot. And between the age of 18 and 21, I really changed my attitude towards life and with a lot of things. And I realized that, you know, if I'm going to do this and if I've really given up football um, to, to do business and to go and do a master's degree and et cetera, et cetera, I was like, I'm going to have to actually start trying now. And I, f I felt like I wanted to give back to God for, for being loyal to me and for getting me through all these moments where I just completely showed no care at all about something that he told me that he wanted me to do with my life. So um, I did that and went to Birmingham City University, which is like local uni. It was cheap. I was from a very low income family as well. I, I, I know I've said my dad was a footballer, but it was at a time where they weren't paid much. Yeah, it was yeah. actually, he got more money doing printing than yeah, he did yeah. playing football. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, financially, I'm, I'm not from a, a wealthy background whatsoever. Um, and so for me, it was, I'm the first kid in our family to have been to university. Like, it was a big deal in the end. So I went to uni locally and did my degree in business. And then, um, again, had some just like, really had some really good life experiences um, through that time. Um, went to America, went to Africa twice. When I was in America, I served um homeless people in la i used to we would feed them every day we would go and spend time with them and a lot of it was faith-based stuff as well so there was obviously the the options for you know we would pray for them and all that kind of stuff as well but i ended up like leading a ministry um if anybody is a fan of red hot chili peppers one of their songs are called uh, under the bridge yeah and so i served under the bridge ministries which was under the bridge is a place in la just off of skid row um where all these there's like 5,000 homeless people in three square blocks, which is basically a square mile. Um, 
just imagine it's worse now, but at the time there were about 3,000 to 5,000 homeless people just on the streets. Now it's closer to 10,000 from what I understand. It's just insane. And um, you can look it up, Skid Row, on the internet, Google it, or you'll see just how bad it is. And so I served there, and I just, like I said, I matured and I grew up a lot during that time. But at the same point, um, in terms of my football, I still wanted to enjoy it. And so I, I just started playing with my mates. And like I said, I'd scored 50 goals, and it was not even Christmas. And I was just like, it just came to that point where I was like, I can either... I have to cut this out of my life permanently or become I can, professional. Yeah. It was like, why don't, why am I doing this? Like I was so, I was fitter than professional footballers at that time as well. Like I'd been working on my fitness a lot and um, this is part of my coaching story here, but I, I used to do work with a former pro called Pat Wright who trained me as a kid and I was scared of him. I was legitimately scared of him. So I stopped going to his coaching sessions. Um, I was too young basically to understand that he was just looking out for me and trying to make me a professional as early as possible. Um, but he was a, he was a very scary guy. He was also a semi-racist guy at times. Um, he did some really crazy stuff, but he was a pro and he knew what he was doing. And he was like, a UEFA A licensed coach. And at that time, that was the top level of coaching. And um, he had a, he was very renowned for building sort of young professional footballers and all that stuff. And um, I, when I was 18, I started, I was working on my stamina over my local park. And I used to watch him training the kids. And I just remember thinking, do you know what? I just want to help. Like, if I can just offer to help, I'll do that. And, so I'd started helping out with a lot of coaching sessions that he did. And we sort of had this mutual agreement that he would help work on my fitness. Um, if I helped him to do a lot of the demonstrations for the coaching, because he was at this point, I think Pat was like 60 and he'd had a couple of hip operations. Like he wasn't physically in the best state to be doing demonstrations for coaching sessions. So I was learning a lot about coaching at that point and then started doing my badges as well. Um, because it was just something that was quite easy for me and I was enjoying training these young kids. And so for me, I was like, do I separate myself now from football completely? How does that look? I was enjoying coaching. Um, I knew that I enjoy coaching and actually coaching paid for me to get through uh, my master's degree as well. Um, like I said, I, I couldn't afford, we didn't get money or anything and we couldn't get a loan. So I had to pay for my master's. So I ended up just working as a coach um, with kids, school kids and stuff like that. Like I did after school clubs and I did normal stuff with normal training and coaching. And in between all of this, um, we also ran community coaching weeks with our church. But my brother was a really good coach. He was a higher coach than I am. He was UA for B qualified. Um, I was the level below. But we also knew loads of footballers. So what we ended up doing was doing like um, a week of football coaching in the Whitson holiday. And we ended up having Steve Spooner, who's now the manager at Birmingham City Football Club. Um, Steve Spoons has just been promoted, I imagine, temporarily until we sort our club out and find out how to actually sign a real manager that's going to get us into the Premier League. It's a bit of wishful thinking coming into this now. 
Um, and we had spoons. We had um, a kid called, oh gosh, what was Holmes's first name? I never remember people's first names. I think it's Ian Holmes. I can't even remember. Anyway, Holmesy was playing at Southampton. He was a big deal when he used to play for Derby County and then he got injured and it ruined his career, basically. Um, he was going to go to Manchester United from Derby and then injured his ligament in his knee, I think I want to say. Anyway, Holmesy came and helped us out. His brother is a really respected coach at like Macclesfield Town or Mansfield, one of the two. I think he's just left to a Premier League club now. So he was a really renowned young coach coming up through the ranks. Um, Fabrice Moamba um, came and did some stuff with us. Yeah, I'll never forget the work that I did with Fab. Um, we <laughs> turned up, seeing him turn up late to a school assembly in Birmingham to do kick-ups with the head teacher was one of the funniest mornings of my entire life. It was just so, so funny. He was, he was 45 minutes late. Um, if you want to know about footballers' lives, Fab was, this was a typical footballer thing to do. We'd arranged that we were going to go to this school assembly. We were just going to do, like, he was just going to show his face. It was a Birmingham school, so a lot of Villa fans. So they, he, he knew he was going to get a bit of stick, but Fab was young at the time. He was like, just come from Arsenal and just wanted to help. He's a Christian. Um, he was at the time, Fab. So we, we got on, like, in numerous ways. But he was the worst timekeeper that I ever remember. But do you know what? I say that now that all of all of the footballers I know are the worst timekeepers I've ever met. They just they just don't. It's like they don't have a watch or don't have access to a watch of any kind who because the, they just. Who are the biggest footballers on. you know? The biggest footballers that I know. Who do I know now that I would want to? I know you've told me. That you met Edgar Davids. Well, I met Edgar about that was that was last year. I mean, that was that was the best conversation I've had in a long time. Like to speak with him was a dream um, because he was an he was somebody that I looked up to, even though I was a striker and he was a defensive midfielder. He epitomised just everything I loved about football. He was this tenacious working midfielder who never gave up. Um, as much as I was lazy working back, I never gave up. Like I just had that pit bull spirit that he had and was known for. And he, he, he did something that I'd never seen in football myself. And I'm not saying that no footballer had ever combined this, but he had this beautiful synergy of technical ability and just absolutely ruthless physical strength and determination. Can't forget and it's the goggles. A very, Go on. Can't forget the goggles. <laughs> well, yeah, and then cool glasses to go with it as well. Mm. He wasn't wearing those when I met him. Um, but I just, I idolised him. He was one of my favourite footballers. He was like, he just epitomised everything that I loved about football. I, it was as much about the, the determination and the will to win as it was about the skill and the ability that you have. And he epitomised that for me and he won a lot of honours in his life because of that um, synergy that he, he managed to have. He's a very unique midfielder in that sense. And so like Juventus, wasn't he? And Bolton. Yeah, Barcelona, Juventus. Um, I, I say I idolised him. I wasn't that kind of fan that followed all the clubs a player's been at through their career. 
I I knew that he was at Juventus and Barca because he was. Yeah. This was a time when Serie A was the best league hands down in the world. There was no better league than Serie A in the ninth, the late nineties, mid to late nineties. When you look at all the players that were in the Italian Serie A, it's just unbelievable. It's like a royalty list. It's like the Hall of Fame of footballers. Yeah. And it just keeps going and going. There were literally like three or four clubs that were filled. I mean, Milan, Milan Maldini. of the mid to late nineties are my favorite team ever of all time. And they had, they had 11 players who would make it into any 11 at that time. They just, they had one of those teams that were just untouchable. Um, and you saw the back end of that when Liverpool beat them in the Champions League final. Yeah. But before that, they were just they formidable team, just unbelievable talent in every position and great players, variety of styles, and it all just seemed to mesh in the same team. It was phenomenal. And I'm I'm very much a defensive-minded coach, um, even though I'm a, an attacking-minded player. I always admired defensive teams um, when it comes to my coaching and tactics. So AC Milan were the any Italian team, to be fair, from that era would the epitome for me of great defensive, tactical, astute teams who won one games 1-0, but still managed to make it look kind of beautiful. So um, I really, I did a lot of studying on those teams when it came to my coaching stuff as well. Um, to go back to like biggest players, it's it's really difficult because I know that, you know, there are some you know, of them, Darren Moore, Yes, I know Daz really well. Darren is definitely a friend. I mean, Darren got me in at West Brom, so I ended up becoming the chaplain. And this is this is all now after I've I've got my business degree. I've done my master's in business, and I even managed to do my master's degree on football. Um, I still believe I'm the only one in the world to have done this, but I've created a I created a tool that helps football clubs to value and evaluate their brand. Um, and the strength of their brand. So that was something that I did based on a load of clubs. I think there were like 12 clubs that I studied. And I ended up working with Chelsea, Man U, obviously the Scum, Aston Villa and Birmingham City we worked with as well. Tottenham, Arsenal, Rangers, Celtic. Um, Barca and Real Madrid were in there, but that I didn't work with anybody from those clubs. But all of those connections came from people I know in the game. So um, agents that I know who would get me in at clubs, um, players that I know, players of play, players who knew other players at clubs that could get me in at clubs. It was a lot of fun. Doing my dissertation for my master's degree was a heck of a lot of fun because that was the first point where I realized after football that, okay, I can do business and I can still be involved with football and not um, worry about all of the stuff that's that's happened and why I left professional football in the first place. So I just got to meet and work with a load of great people um, within the game. I got to meet the managing director at Manchester United, who um, Richard Arnold, who's probably not well known in football terms, because he's more of a business guy, but in, in the business world, this guy's seen as a genius because of he's the guy behind Manchester United building their brand um, throughout the late nineties. And even up until today, he still works for them. So Richard Arnold was, that's one of the biggest 
see, I would I would class that as one of the biggest people I know in football now because he's just that guy's a legend. What he's done for that club and how he's made Manchester United this world-renowned name in football, and that's beyond the playing side. Like, it's just a phenomenal achievement that he's managed to do that, and what they continue to do as a club as well. I just admire a lot of their uh, business techniques and things that they do in terms of social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's people like that who I would consider big. And then there are also people I don't want to mention, but um, I, I'd rather stick with the ones that I, who I can say I've got a good a personal relationship with, I think would be the best. Yeah. Um, Joel Ward in the premiership plays for Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace, yeah, yeah. Yeah, fullback. Yeah. Um, Joel's a really nice guy. I don't know what he's going to do um, beyond this season. I think his contract's up, whether he's signed the extension or not, is why I'm saying I don't know what he's going to do. But he's he's such a nice young guy, just really nice. He's he's always just been top, top guy. Yeah. Um, Fabrice, Fabrice Mwamba has been like inspirational in so many ways. We yeah, started have, out just it, being friends. It is have that, um, heart, what happened to his heart on the pitch and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and I think I've said this before to you. I, I was one of the guys who went to go and visit him in hospital after it happened. Um, me and Darren actually drove down. Me and Darren Moore drove down from Birmingham and went and visited him in hospital. Um, literally, I think it was two days after it had happened. And it was just... Horrific. His whole family, though, is incredible. And that, like I said, a complete inspiration to me, the way that all his family dealt with with everything in that process. And Fab has gone on and he's getting on with his life now, which is great. Yeah. He's not... He hasn't fallen back on it. He hasn't... He, Him and his wife, he's, I actually found out in the process of meeting Fab that I knew his, me and his wife went to uni together as well. Um, so we we just ended up I ended up being friends with his wife as much as him at first and just really nice couple just both of them are really nice um, just great great people so there's Fab Darren is Darren I mean the stuff that Darren's doing in football now if you when you hear Darren talk you would if you said has that guy got any GCSEs you'd definitely say no um <laughs> He just, he doesn't sound like the most intelligent guy in the world. I'll accept that. But he is such a wonderful man. I mean, that guy has done so much good inside and outside of football. And he's now beginning to reap just even more of the rewards of that attitude that he has. He's just, he's known as being a nice guy in football, which is very rare for him to be liked by so many people and still is to this day. Like he can go into so many clubs and will just be the nicest guy in the world, and people will recognize him as this guy's just a really genuine, nice man. Yeah. Um, Limvoy Primus as well. Limvoy, um, Bruce Dyer, I'm trying to think of some of the older guys that I know that I just really think a lot of. Uh, Adam and James Chambers, both of them used to play for, they were at West Brom. I think one of them's still at Leighton Orient, which is why I was like, Leighton Orient coming back up into the league made me laugh. Um, those two, I grew up with them. We grew up in the same sort of primary school and we grew up literally one street away from each other. Um, 
what was interesting about their story with me is that they actually became Christians in the middle of their football careers. So we, while we didn't connect as much before that, we started to build a relationship after it. And they've just, they're just really nice guys, both of them. Um, well, one of them became a Christian. One of them isn't a Christian. So, but I still just managed to build a relationship with, with both of them through that, which was incredible, really. Um, Nigel Rio Coca oh, is nice, a weird yeah. one. Bolton. Um, me and Nigel became friends. That was through, um, so when I did my dissertation, I met the player liaison officer at Aston Villa. I think she's been promoted now to a, to a better, I say promoted to a better club. She's been sort of headhunted by a bigger club i think in the meantime i haven't really kept up with where her career has gone but she um was incredible she actually introduced me to a load of the players there so john carew i met he's an interesting character um but nigel was one who we wanted to do an interview with for some church stuff funnily enough he ended up working with us on one of these coaching weeks and uh, we interviewed him and he recognized me straight away. And he was like, have I played against you? And I sort of laughed and I went, I think we actually did. Um, he was on trial at Cheltenham Town before he went to Wimbledon um, with the academy. And I mean, he's going to probably hate that I'd say this, but I scored a hat trick that day and absolutely yeah. destroyed that team single-handedly. We won 4-3 and... Um, he he remembered i i thought it was so funny that he remembered me from that day um but it was a that was one of my better games that was one of the games that i'll never forget i just absolutely destroyed that team um i really loved that that was one of my white boot days as well so i always i, I it was the Henri, the original Henri vapors that i was wearing that day i love those boots yeah. um but it was just one of those things where everything went right um i just couldn't stop scoring and running rings around them so it was it was a, and i remember particularly having a battle with rio coca in midfield where i just like took the pee out of him and dinked the ball over his head and ran on but he was again just a really nice guy i think he he had a misconception as a bad boy in football um a lot of people especially at aston villa thought that he was a bad guy um and there was there were a lot of rumors that he was hard to deal with um if you remember he went to west ham and the, the again same sort of problems at West Ham and that's why he left was because there was this reputation but I only ever found him to be a really nice guy to deal with yeah. and um, he was just again another person that I just really um, have a lot of respect for uh, within the game and that there's just a bunch of others I guess that I've met I'm, I can't do justice to people that I've met who yeah just people like you because there are a lot of others and I'm like I'm trying to think now and it's just I know there's a lot because we've been, I used to get invited back to Plymouth. You know, I would go and watch games and sit in the, you'd be in like the players. I hate saying VIP, but it, it's the players room and the players area where the wives and stuff hang out with the whoever's injured and all that stuff. And yeah. then all the players meet after the game, they have meals and all that stuff together. And because of that, because of my relationship with a lot of players, I've just been in a lot of those rooms. So I've met a lot of players. Um, I've just happened to meet a lot of them and it's, it's been great. I've met Sam Allardyce was fun as well, meeting him and getting to chat with Sam Allardyce. Cause I really respected him as a coach. Um, 
when he was at Bolton. But I also always wanted to know whether he was a Wolves or West Brom fan. And I never found out, which still haunts me to this day because he's... Yeah. My brother's a West Brom fan. I'm, I, I, I didn't care until my brother said he's literally from Dudley, which is um, local to us. And once I find it, found that out, I was like, I want to know who he supports. But when we met, I completely forgot to ask him um, the question that... Those times for me, I, I don't, my mind goes blank when I'm fanboying. And whenever <laughs> I want to do that fan thing, I just, my mind goes blank and I always forget to ask. So um, I've just met a lot of great people. That's all I can say yeah, about football. Yeah. Edgar Davids was special. That was definitely the the highlight for me because that was, that was one of the people I actually genuinely uh, looked up to before I met them. I, di- I didn't look up to Darren Moore before I met him because I didn't, he was just Big Dave at West Brom who helped them get promoted. I didn't really care. <laughs> um, but like someone like Edgar, who'd done so much on the world stage, um, that was a big relationship for me. And like I said, uh, still good friends with Steve Spoon, who's now the manager at Blues. He, they're not going to call him the manager, but he is at the moment. He's going to, I'm really hoping he does well. Him and Craig Gardner are going to be in charge at Birmingham now for the rest of the season. So I'm really rooting for him is he, just as a person is he play manager then well will it be craig, like player coach sorry craig yeah craig's semi-retired now um he, i don't know if he'll say that because he probably wants to still get on the pitch but he's more of a coach now than a player yeah. so i think officially he's still got a squad number and all that stuff but this season's kind of been his last well rooney um, was meant to be a player coach but he's just he's more of a player yeah yeah, exactly. And I, Rooney going to Derby was all about him getting games. It's it's just about him playing and mm. them having the money that they're going to make from shirt sales. Yeah, but to uh, Rooney learning a bit about coaching in between. Just to um, just to end it off. I know I know Miles and myself. Well, I've been wanting to do something involving football, whether it's coaching badges, scout badges. I know Miles been has been interested in it as well. Yeah, massively. Yeah. So I know you wants to ask. Yeah, I was just going to say about like coaching badges, really, because I'm I'm a youth ref youth referee at the moment, so um, I I already have that um done and stuff. But coaching badges, I'm really interested in. What what advice would you really give on that to not only me but to like other people watching as well? It's the thing. I here's the thing with coaching. Oh, sorry. Go on. I just want to quickly add. The thing is with coaching I, I, I don't really know but usually to be successful it's usually ex-footballers is that is that is that true <laughs> okay um okay i'm gonna respond to miles because that'll answer your question as well nice. or what you just said right. um the one thing i was going to say is that coaching is actually the easiest way into football of all the oh, ways really? in yeah coaching is 100 percent the easiest um, I say that, and I've I've got to add the caveat that you can't just be a coach in football just because you're a fan of football. Like that's not going to get you um, where you want to be. Yeah. If you're going to get into coaching, you have got to genuinely care about two things. One is your own career, and you've got to be serious about it. I wouldn't do coaching if I was just doing it to get a badge to say that I'm a coach. That's not the reason to get into coaching a lot of footballers do that 
um, because, like you said, there's this stereotype that footballers have got an easy way in. They actually it is a lot harder than you think um, for them to get into coaching. They'll get the badges, and there are so many footballers out there who have got their badges and just cannot get their foot in the door at a club. Um, it's just it, it can be very difficult for ex-pros, but it will be equally as difficult for anybody who gets into coaching for any reason outside of so it literally just depends to actually be a manager and be successful. So it um, just depends how good you are. You don't get a boost if you're no, just know your that. trajectory. That's the key. Like, just know where you want to go, and right. and go for it, and and pursue it with everything you've got. Getting into the club isn't the hard part, as silly as it sounds, because you've got to remember that every club has probably an under nines all the way up to an under twenty threes now. Yeah. So there's always an abundance of coaching positions at football clubs that you can go into. Most people who aren't a footballer who start coaching will be given the under nines role and you'll be a coach and then you work your way to being the manager of that age group and then from there you will build your self up and reputation based on how good you are as a coach that's really what it comes down to the key is is making sure you get your qualifications and that's why you shouldn't just do the coaching badges if you don't want if you're not serious about it if you're serious do every badge that you can possibly do because that accreditation gets you in the door. That is the, you will meet so many coaches and I met a bunch of first team coaches just by doing my UA. I didn't even do the UA for B course, but I was a footballer. So I was asked what happens is um, the FA will often ask a block of young footballers to come and help do the demos and do all of the training um, sessions with the coaches who are training to be UA for B, UA for A, pro license coaches. They do that because they don't want old men who are doing their coaching courses to be coached. It just doesn't work like that. It's not realistic. So to create the most realistic environment of a training ground, they'll invite a bunch of young kids. And I was not at a club. um, So I was invited and that's, that's what happened. And, and then I, I just met a bunch of guys. I, I, I mean, I was no one to them because I wasn't part of a pro club. And I met one of the first team coaches at Birmingham City um, at that time. I met a bunch of scouts for different clubs at that time. And uh, when I talked to you about that game against Cheltenham, I met the manager of the academy doing the UA for B course about three weeks prior. And we laughed when we saw each other at the beginning of the game. Because he was like, oh, it's you again. And I was like, oh, it's you again. Yeah. And then I destroyed his team. But that was really fun because you get to meet people within the game. And those relationships, if you know where you want to be, yeah, they're invaluable. That's how you get into football. You just do the courses and mm-hmm. show that you actually know what you're talking about and that yeah. you care about it, football. Yeah. And you will, you'll find those openings will appear for you. Yeah. There's always someone at a club training for a, coaching course so this isn't like you're not going to meet the top managers until you get to the top level certificates which also cost a heck of a lot of money um but like you are going to meet coaches at football clubs as you go through the levels the first coaching badge is boring shouldn't even exist in my opinion there's like the fa base level which is the stupidest thing in the world anybody could do it 
that essentially is for anyone who just wants to be a Sunday league coach. Anybody who just wants to take on their son's team or their daughter's team, just go and do that course. Um, it's as simple as that. The next level above, that's when you start doing like your referee coaching, you'll do first aid, you'll do child protection stuff. It then starts to just get a little bit more serious. And that's when you then go into your uh, UA for license levels. Oh. And once you're at UA for level, it's serious. You're going to be with, you'll be with coaches yeah. um, of all different levels. And you'll have a laugh as well. Like they're a lot of fun. You, they're filled with debates. You always talk about like the best teams of all time. Obviously, you get people from different walks of life and backgrounds supporting different teams. So there's always banter. Um, I always found the coaching courses to be fun, to be honest. They were always a good laugh and you can throw a lot into them. Um, so my advice would just be know where you're going, know what you want to be in, in that world. And even if it's as ambitious as saying, I want to be a Premier League manager, that's absolutely fine as long as you stick to that as your trajectory as long as that's always the focus you'll get there jose Mourinho was nothing when he became a coach um he was a translator at barcelona when he got into coaching for bobby robson so it really doesn't matter arsene wenger was like part-time player he really wasn't that good of a player but ended up getting into coaching and seeing the game in a completely different way and that transformed the way english football was played um, so I wouldn't worry about former pros. They've got enough to worry about themselves when it comes to coaching. Just get your head down, work hard. Um, and if you're a good coach, it will shine through. Like people will see it. And there's a lack of good coaches in England. Um, real lack of good technical coaches who know football. So if you're into it and you love it, um, you've got as good a platform as anyone of getting involved and getting into a, a decent level of the game. All right. And if if you're black <laughs> or of any minority color, let me know because Darren Moore will be able to help with that. They're obviously doing a lot with BAME at the moment and Darren's at the forefront of trying to get more people of color into the game. So if there is anybody listening on that, let me know and then we'll get you in touch with Darren and all the schemes that they're putting together at the moment to to just get a bit of that equality side um, into into the game. Well, amazing, amazing story, mate. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. It's long. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. Yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it was great. I'm, I'm always I'm, nervous about talking because I'm like, how far am I going into the detail on this? Because there is a lot of... I'm sure there's, there's a, a lot, lot that goes more into to the kind into. of story. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, yeah, loads. I mean, we haven't even talked about scouting. No. <laughs> We've not yeah. I mean, we it, can but... or, or FIFA either. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's a, there'll be a next time if if you're if you're up for it, mate. If you guys can put up with me, then yeah, I'm I've, down. I've, I've I'm just been sitting here, to do this stuff. listening to you, so interested, just li sitting back listening to you. Your story. It's been, it's it's very interesting listening to football stories. I I, I could just sit there all day listening to them. Yeah, there's a load of those. There's still loads that I'm even now just they come to you briefly and you're like, oh gosh, I forgot that that happened as well. Yeah. And it's just stupid stuff that people who are fans 
um, or just haven't been involved in that level of the football club would love it and would just find it, probably find it really interesting. And I think a lot of it goes over your head when you've been involved with it, because for us, it's as a pro, it's every day. Like a lot of that stuff becomes mundane and you just don't, you become a little bit numb to just, it's not that you're, you're numb to being a pro, but it's, you just numb to like the little situations that happen in that lifestyle. Yeah. And I think you do, you definitely take it for granted. I can see why, I can see why it's hard for me to, to articulate it because sometimes I have a lot of emotion and sympathy towards footballers because I know some of the stuff that goes on that's just out of their control. And they get so much stick from everyone about every every mistake that they make is criticized. But then there are other sides. And I'm like, some of these guys are absolute dickheads. They don't, like, I can't tell you how bad, there are some really bad, dark, ugly sides of football as well. And they fit the stereotype of what people think about footballers. And so I'm always in this sort of floating space in between where it's just like, this is football, you know, it has that good and bad within it. Yeah. Um, and it just, ultimately it all comes down to the person's attitude, whether it's coaching, scouting, playing, whatever it is. So if you're all for it, if, you, if you're 100% serious with it, you're 100% with it, committed to it, then go for it. Yeah. There's a lot of sacrifice. Yeah. That's the, the other thing that's hidden. Like you will lose friends. You won't. Even though you'll be well known, you will lose friendships because you don't have time for the social stuff. If mm. you're, I, after school, I would literally get changed, go to the park that was fortunately for me over the road from my house. And I would stay there for three or four hours on my own with a ball in front of a goal. And all I would do is just do kickups and shoot and practice free kicks and penalties. And there was no goalkeeper. Mm. It was just me. So you, you've got to have that level of dedication. And if you're fortunate enough to have friends who are also equally as dedicated, that helps because you can challenge each other. But um, the amount of practice and the amount of discipline that you have to put into any, prof like any profession, really, not just football, if you want to be the best at it, you've got to go all the way in and just, do as much as you can to be that i mean i if you want to be the best coach you're gonna to have to do a lot of research like you're gonna to have to watch a lot of football matches like if you don't want to if this isn't your passion don't get into it well, the thing is with like with me um i'm i'm a liverpool fan but i'm a, f a massive football fan so i'll just, mm -hmm. whatever football matches on i'll just, I'll just watch even if it's burnley norwich I, I, i'll Dude. just watch it yeah because I'm it. a massive fan of football, and 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 people people say like say if Man U, Man U getting Sancho now, people are like oh mm -hmm. like no you don't want Man U to go to uh Sancho Sancho to go to Man U because it's Man U, but I'm like yeah, but it's a it's Sancho coming to the Premier League. Do you, mm -hmm. do you understand? Yeah, I so, mean, put it this way: there were what three of us? I think three of us out of that academy got offered pro terms. One of them went to play for Derby County. He was like very good left back did really well with his career the other one i, I really don't know what happened to him what was um, his name i can't even remember paul something he was the left back i'll have to i'll have to look i'm i have such a bad memory i've said this in my streams i've got it wasn't such Kincheski, a bad memory was it? <laughs> it wasn't who Kincheski. 
Oh, no way. No, no, no. Don't worry about that. No, 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 no. Now, this is the Scouse kid who jumped on uh, Watson oh, and gave nice. him the kiss. He actually oh. got a pro contract in the end and had a very, very successful career. Um, he was just like a solid championship player in the end. And I think he did eventually get into the Premier League when Derby were there because he played with Darren. Um, so he managed to play in the worst Premier League team of all time as well, which is probably not something you want to show off about. But um, anyway, the, the thing that the three of us had in common, I was known in the digs that I was staying in because we, we had to live in a hotel with all the other players. So all of the academy kids lived in a hotel together. It was like a five-story hotel and we all had bunk beds in each room. It was ridiculous. But I would go home after training and turn on Sky Sports News and I remember a lot of the other kids in the academy just being like, you're weird. Like, you've just you've just been playing football all day. And the first thing you do is turn Sky Sports News on, see who Birmingham City have signed. And I was like, I love football. This is my life. Like, a lot of footballers, what else am I going to do? A lot of footballers, like, they train all day and then they, they, they try and take their mind away from football. So they, like, they do something... That's not football related, just to keep yeah. your mind away from football, if you know what I mean. Well, that's it. And the, the pressures change. I imagine for it's different being a first team footballer than it is being in the academy. There's no pressure. I had kids, I had people on the street coming up to me in Plymouth who knew me and it was great. I loved it. I love that attention. But I know for a fact, once I got into the first team and it happened a little bit with Charlton, when we lost 5-1, people were like taking the piss. Not necessarily out of me, but you could, they were taking the piss out of my teammates. And I'm like, geez, this is a different side of football that I hadn't, I'd not experienced that. I've seen it in the turnstiles. I was a season ticket holder at Blues for like five years in the tilt. And so I heard all the worst things that can possibly said about any footballer at any point in history, um, because Blues fans are just like that, unfortunately. But when you hear that side and you experience it from both ends, you just realize like, this is different. This is a different beast. Um, but I still love football and that was my life. And that's what got me through. And I think that goes into it as well, is that you're going to get a lot of pressure. You're going to get a lot of stick. You, even as a coach as well, it's going to be just as bad. People are going to criticize you and you've got to love football because that's the only way you're going to get through it. Yeah. If you don't love it, just don't do it. It's, it's like, Yes, you might want to for all of the world be a part of something as big as football is, and it's a privilege to when you are a part of it. But at the same time, if if the motivation's not there, you should just get out. And there's a lot of footballers who should get out, but they they choose not to because of the money nowadays, unfortunately. But hmm. it's you know that's that's the negative side, I guess. The positive is if you love it and you you're willing to give your life over to it and understand that you're going to have to sacrifice a lot for it and you're okay with that yeah. then you're you're well set to do well in football um the best thing you can do then is just get on with it and work hard yeah well i'm sure i'm sure we could go on but we'll save it we'll save it for next time I'm, we'll save it for next time it's been a long one today but i'm long sure one yet, I, i'm it? scared yeah. i'm scared to look at like any clock that's near me <laughs> My wife thought she tells me enough that I talk too much, so <laughs> I'm sure, I don't I'm sure. need to reinforce that for myself. 
I'm sure the next one will be even longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, but, and you know I'm an opinionated guy as well, so yeah. I'm not going to hide how I feel about stuff. Um, but yeah, if if you're willing to come on again, we we we'll 100 have you on. Always. Always. Right, it's been it. it's been a lot of fun to be able to share it, and I'm thankful that you guys have even asked. Um, I've, I've, to be honest, we're very thankful that you've decided that you said yes to come on. Um, but I've got I've just got one question just before we end. I don't know whether you would have anyone, but would you would you nominate someone to come on as a guest? Would I nominate someone to come on as a guest? There's always people that could come on as guests. It depends what you want them to talk about. I mean, just uh, just a, a story or anything. Anything. Jeez, there's this is the or who would be willing of, to 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 come on as well. There'd be a bunch of people I could suggest. That's not the problem. I mean, a, a group, a bunch of the guys that I've even mentioned would probably be up for it. Then that's like I said, some of them are, they're just so humble now that they they love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, it really depends on the story because there there are so many. One of the beautiful things about football is the amount of different stories that come through the game because people are from all different walks of life and background. Um, you, it's very rare to find the same story twice. And yeah. I guess my the answer is, is as vague as it is, I apologize for that, is that there probably are, but like I wouldn't know specifically who to say without knowing what you're looking for. Um, as like is anyone in the football, and... mainly football world, yeah. that, you, that you would know. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't have him, that's fine. I tell you, the other player that I forgot to mention earlier would be. Um, I can't believe I forgot to mention his name. It's probably because I forgot it. He plays for. Um, he's been playing over here in the US for a while. I think he's just moved now, but he was. Um, playing with he was also at Derby I don't know why I seem to know it's Darren's fault that I know a lot of the Derby players um but I tell you, he would be really good I just don't know what time zone he lives in anymore so I'm just gonna google it what's, I need to what's his, name? his name jeez um he used to play for Houston Dynamo does he currently and... play for Derby now no, no, no. He plays. Oh. He's moved. He's he's still a pro, but I think he's over in. I think he's moved over to the Indian League with like oh, well. David James oh, right. and all those guys. I'm sure he has. Let me find out. It'll be. It'll take me two seconds. This is the beauty of Google. Yeah, Giles. Giles Barnes. Giles Barnes. Probably yeah, G- my name in it. <laughs> Giles Down. was. Um, let's see where he is. Yeah, he's in the Indian Super League for Hyderabad FC. So he's still—he's only thirty-one. He's like Giles was a big deal, and um, similar to Lee. So I've remembered his name. It's Lee Holmes. So similar to Lee Holmes, Giles got an injury when he was young, and was being touted as being like the next big creative midfielder in England. And got injured just at the wrong time in his career, and it really affected 
everything that happened to him. He was the young player of the year in 2007. Yeah. I'm reading that directly from his Wikipedia now because my memory is so bad. I'd never <laughs> know something like that. He was the championship player of the month in 2007 as well. So that was like his break oh, wow. for a year. That's, that's, um, that's an achievement. Yeah, he was doing really well. And again, like Giles has an interesting story. Um, he invited, like I managed to, I almost watched him play over in the States because I happened to be in Dallas at the time he was playing Dallas for Houston. Um, but apparently the game ended up getting called off because of like this massive storm that was happening at the time. But he's just another great guy, really, really nice guy who's um, sort of misunderstood. A lot of these guys are misunderstood because the press makes so much stuff up. Um, Rumours spread and it just ruins. It just, it just, taints players careers yeah. but Giles was brilliant he was with a load of clubs even in the MLS he loved playing here in the States he purposely moved away from the UK so um Giles would be interesting just because he's playing over in India now as well yeah just to find out more about what that that league's like yeah so, so that, does he have Twitter that might be my recommendation <laughs> does Giles have Twitter Yes, he's got to have Twitter. They all have it. They all want the they all want the the recommendation of the fans. They all want. Here we go. Let's have a look. See, this is a great thing of uh, Google and Twitter now, isn't yeah. it? These days. Yeah, it's at Giles Barnes Real. At Giles Barnes Real. We'll yeah. I, we'll give him a little, a little, a little, uh, little bit. Yeah, I'll drop him a little follow now. So, He's so a... is that, that's your that's your nominee, Giles Barnes. What the heck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna message him because it says he lives in Orlando, Florida, which is like four hours from me. So if he's if he's still here, then I will go and actually meet him myself. I just he might be in the off season in India. I don't know. Let's see when the last time he tweeted was. Because I've I don't I've lost he re- a lot. He retweeted of... five. Uh, five hours ago. <laughs> We're getting like this is stalkerish now, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. No, no, no. He's, no, I see what he's doing. Like, is that an, if that's a if that's a Florida story, then maybe he still lives here because he really loved it here and he was playing for Orlando. That was one of the last teams he was with in the MLS. Um, with. Kaka, I believe. Oh, oh wow. I think just oh before God. Kaka left, he was That's there insane. as well. Jesus. So <laughs> he was doing really well. He was definitely seen as a good player. Um, is he, he is he for the American Caps or is well. he No, Giles English. is English. Is he yeah, English? He's, Giles is English. He spent most of his career in England, but um, just after his injuries, that it just stopped his career because he couldn't... I think a lot of teams struggled to trust his leg um it wasn't his ability everybody knew he was good enough but they just didn't trust the state of his leg so when he came over here i think it was like a clean slate for him teams didn't necessarily plus american medicine is a lot better they're not in terms of sports injuries they're a lot more confident here that they'll repair any injury that you've got so they'll hire you regardless of what injury history you have in england it's a lot different yeah. They're more strict and they're also a lot more paranoid about signing a player who's got a history of injuries. Um, 
it's just because all the best medical people for sports injuries tend to be in the US. So they'll just, I think there's that, there's a well-known knee surgeon who's like repaired a whole bunch of English footballers' knees over the years, some of the top, top players. And he lives, the, the doctor and the surgeon, sorry, is here. And um, Owen Hargreaves was the same. I remember yeah, he yeah, had yeah. his knee injury and they sent him here to go and get um, the treatment he needed. Yeah, it's name, just because yeah. they're the best doctors, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's a good place to like reset, restart your career kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So your nominee is Giles Barnes. We'll, <laughs> I think uh... it's going to have to be. I'm going to yeah. look. I need to check my, I haven't even checked my phone to see all these. Yeah, I've got Giles' number. We'll, uh, I, pre- I appreciate that. Um, we'll 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 give him a little message. See if, I should see have if he's done interested. this when you asked me who I know because I'm going through this and I'm like, oh, there's all these <laughs> names now. They're all in my contacts. <laughs> Shoot. My my biggest contact, I think. Sire Barino, uh... right? I've oh got wow, Barino. Barino's got to have a shout. Gal Bigirimana, who was, um, I believe he's playing in Scotland now for Motherwell, but he was at Newcastle a couple of years ago and he was like well known. Um, Again, he's going to hate me saying this. He was well known as being one of Alan Pardew's, like, Alan Pardew was hated when he was the manager at Newcastle because he kept ruining all these young players' careers by not playing them. And Gale was known as one of these kids who had loads of potential, scored a great goal when he was, I think, on his debut. And Pardew just randomly dropped him Hmm. and didn't play him again. And everyone was just like, what is this guy doing? Pardew's like... What a crap manager. Anyway, that one's definitely for another day. But there's him. I'm I'm going for you're gonna get the alphabetical. I've got Anthony Wait. Taylor as my my rundown. Yeah, the only one I've really got because I don't have anyone. <laughs> there are people I don't like as well that I know and I've not mentioned them. Yeah, um, I think best we don't. <laughs> yeah, there are some there are some well known players that I definitely don't have any respect for so I've, i'm like i'm not going to talk about these guys what we could what you could do is the next time when you're on you could nominate one of them <laughs> that'd be interesting no don't want to do that <laughs> jeez right well incriminate those guys anyway um i appreciate once again you coming on mate it has been a long time watch for uh for coming on it's been very thank interesting you guys very interesting um We'll we'll give we'll live we'll give um Giles a little a little tweet. See if he would he be interested in coming on? Would you know? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can text him and ask him. That would be appreciated. That yeah. might be the best thing, right? Probably. Yeah. It, but... Half of them won't I mean if they read their Twitter, they're not gonna take it seriously. Yeah. Um, that's just that's nothing to do with and that's just for people in general. If you yeah, tweet yeah, yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. and they're not respond, like yeah. honestly, a lot of these guys don't. They just yeah. don't listen unless it's somebody that they already know. Yeah. Because this is something I didn't touch on, but footballers are very paranoid people. Um, I don't know how to explain this, but from the age of eighteen, when you lose all your friends, and you like the only people in your life remaining tend to be the ones who are interested in what you have and who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's a very dangerous position for any young person to be in because yeah. you honestly, you don't know who to trust and yeah, you don't yeah. know who's in it for what. Re- so when it comes to meeting new people, it, you just, you shut them off completely. It's almost like complete shutdown unless it yeah. comes through someone that you know already. Yeah. So footballers are just very paranoid and that's why a lot of them won't 
talk to people. It's why they're often sort of reclusive. And that's one of the reasons they try and get away from football. Um, like you mentioned earlier, it's just escapism. Um, so that's just something for you guys to know. Right. Um, just about a little bit of background into the paranoia of footballers and how weird that life is. It is. It, it does get really weird, especially if you've been at an academy for a long time. That's worse because you've never... I came out of having a real life and then I went into a club. Most kids only ever grow up around a club, so they never really have real friends. They never grow up with like that core group of mates mm-hmm. that you just that you always keep in touch with. Yeah. And I was fortunate that I had that. And so I knew I had a load of mates that I could trust. If I'd have gone into football, I would have known who my friends were. So I, I that's one thing I would have felt quite comfortable with. Um because I would have just had all my old mates with me. But yeah, most footballers don't have that. So it's a very, that's one of the dark sides of it. It's just a hard life to get and to know real people who are genuine. That's yeah. why I love talking about some of the guys I've met in football, because it's really rare to meet that many genuine people. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm very thankful that I I know a lot of them who I can say, like, these are really genuine people who they're just down to earth and, in some cases, misunderstood. Yeah. Well, if if, if you text them and then we will drop them a little DM on Twitter and stuff like that, and then just yeah, see if you'll really be interested in coming it. on. But we really do appreciate you coming on. And um, uh, we'll have all your links down below. So we'll have your yeah. Twitter link, your Twitch link. Uh, we obviously we met you through Twitch. So um, you did meet anyone, me through Twitch, which anyone... I'm not I'm not using at the moment because I'm just like honestly, I've been playing Last of Us Part Two, and that game is phenomenal. Oh yeah, I, I've just been I've been deep dived into like several survival horror games that I've just I'm a big horror fan, so I've been into those games. Daisy is another one that I've just been like, that game is phenomenal. It's like it's like a really good crap game. It's not been <laughs> yeah. developed. It's not like developed brilliantly, but it's a really good game. Just like you can get lost in that thing and Do meet so. really good people <clears throat> as well. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll make sure to put your links down below. Make sure to check them out, and uh, obviously we'll also put our links down below. But I hope you enjoyed the uh, the podcast, and uh, we will catch you next time. Thank you very much for watching. Goodbye. See you. Listening. Sorry. <laughs>